Got you covered. Stories of Modern Modesty is supported by listeners on Patreon. Become a patron at patreon.com slash gotyoucoveredpod and continue to support the show on Instagram at gotyoucoveredpod. Hey y'all, it's Aiden. Up next is my unedited conversation with trans-Muslim modest fashion content creator Lily Craig. This interview was originally recorded on a TikTok live, and you'll hear a point during our discussion where the live pretty much blew up and got flooded with like a ton of really hateful comments. But thanks to a few very kind folks who started overwhelming the comments with hearts and kind words, things did die down. But suffice it to say that this is only a fraction of the hate that Lily gets for being a trans Muslim online. I am so grateful to her for keeping her composure and being vulnerable and honest with me throughout, which led to a really lovely conversation. Today's episode does touch on topics that some listeners might find upsetting, including religious trauma, mental health issues, disordered eating, navigating life while trans, and bullying. Please use your best judgment to decide if you'd like to listen. I'd love to hear your thoughts, as always, so please consider leaving a review after our discussion. Let's begin. Hello, I'm just waiting for my guest to join. Hello. Hello. How are you? Um, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad I got the live thing figured out. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad. How's your game today? It's good. We just came back from dinner, my roommate and I, and now we're just kind of relaxing into the rest of our evening. Awesome. Well, I appreciate yeah. you being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, there's excited. a little there's a little echo happening. Um, I don't know if it's like the sound of me hitting the back of your wall. Um, but do you have headphones or something you can maybe put in? Oh, you know what? I do not. Um, hold on one second. Yeah, no worries. One second. I wore too much red. Let's see if we can cool it off a little bit. Hello, everybody who is watching. Welcome. We're about to get started. Can't find my headphones. I'm not sure why it's echoing the way it is. Let's see if I can adjust. Oh, no. Is it still echoey? Uh, hello, hello. Can you hear me? I don't hear it. No, it sounds okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. There's like, I guess if I'm talking too loud, maybe, I don't know. Not I'll sure. just talk it. have been the stand that I have the phone on too. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Actually, that might have been it. But it sounds better. Okay, great. Well, hi, welcome. Hi. Um, I have a lot of people on my side watching more than I expected, which is great. And I hope that you do too. Um, perfect. The way that this will work is we'll sort of work through the questions that I sent you, but we'll we'll take it more like a conversation. I just want to get to know you and your experiences, and um, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about what we're doing here first, um, and then at the end, um, we can take questions from people. Um, the way that that will work is that um, I I can see the comments on my side, but I can't see the comments on your side. So okay. um, at the end of this, we can just like take questions from people um you'll probably have to scroll back and see if people commented things during the conversation um but let's just sort of focus on each other for now and then we'll sort of open it up to other people um 
And I think this is probably going to take about an hour, hour and a half. Um, but let me know, you know, with some kind of signal, if it's for getting sure. too late for you or whatever, um, I want to be respectful of your time. But if the conversation sure. is flowing and you're having a good time, then we'll keep going. Um, do you have any questions for me before we start? No, I'm, I am absolutely ready. So, okay. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, if you can so. start out by introducing yourself as much as you're comfortable, given that this is an online space. <laughs> for sure. Um, Hi, I'm Lily, and as most of you know, uh, I'm a 30-year-old transgendered woman. I've been uh, transitioning for 10 years. Um, so, well, actually, I'm almost 11 now. I'm originally from Missouri, and I was raised in a very like conservative Bible Belt area in the Midwest. And yeah, I've been a Muslim since the very beginning of 2018. Wonderful. Um, so today, um, I'm, I'm really interested in getting to hear your story because I came across you um, in sort of the the TikTok algorithm that is sort of like queerness and modesty and religion. Um, and you mm -hmm. sort of seem to tell all of these stories in such an interconnected way. But you're just so very yourself. You're also stunning. I love your sense of style. I think you're very fashionable. Um, so I'm just very curious to get to know where you came from. How did you end up here? Um, and maybe the way we can start that is um, I want to hear more about your experiences growing up, um, specifically around religion and spirituality and sort of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've always been a very like spiritual person ever since I was really little. Um, you know, I was raised uh, in a kind of very pseudo Southern Christian environment. Um but I never was really told why I was a Christian, you know, why I was being taught the things that I was being taught. Um, and I would say, like, in high school, I really started to dig around, like a lot of us do. We start to poke around with our faith and try to figure things out. And we read all kinds of books. And I played around with um, atheism in high school because I was just like, you know, what's going on is is there anything why should i you know why should i be afraid if i am afraid um and what really kick-started my like path i guess i could say is i started reading some books on buddhism specifically uh it was uh the buddha um or the buddha story of enlightenment uh by um my gosh i'm totally forgetting the author right now um it'll come back to me but we'll yeah, it's it. just the life of the, of the Buddha. And that just opened my eyes to a whole different world of possibilities. Um, and yeah, from there, I was really just diving deeper and deeper into spirituality. I started uh, looking into yoga and um, the history of that. And it's uh, the connection that had with veganism, all still in high school. Um, and then... While I was uh, struggling with an eating disorder, I had a really bad eating disorder in high school, um, anorexia. Uh, that sort of spiritual practice helped pull me out of that. Um, it really kind of lifted me out of that dark space in my life. There was a bunch of other, other stuff going on with my family as well. Um, and yeah, so I, I just kind of stuck with um, that sort of yoga Buddhist practice for a few years. And then after I graduated, um, that's whenever I, it was 2009, I came out. 
to my family. And I started making friends in the LGBT community. And my spiritual life just kind of uh, went to the wayside. You know, just kind of got set off to the side. And I was being young and crazy and experiencing all these new things. Um, and around that same time, I started uh, doing drag. And, you know, I think anybody who comes out early kind of wants to play around with drag and like gender bending and stuff. It was so new to me because I was just in this little tiny, tiny Midwest town with no real exposure. My graduating class was like 40. Um, but yeah, I had some friends who uh, helped me kind of play around with drag for the first time. And I started performing uh, pretty regularly. I had a whole group that would go around to different small towns and perform at like little bars and stuff. Um, unfortunately, during that time, that's also when uh, I started drinking and, you know, which is also very common in the queer community and the LGBT community. Um, yeah, I started, I would go out, perform, and then, you know, get free drinks and blah, 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 blah. And it was all fun and games. Um, but there was all of a sudden there was this huge chunk of my life that was missing. There was definitely something missing. And that's when I always had anxiety, but that's when the anxiety really started skyrocketing. And so um, kind of where that anxiety started uh, building up and where I was trying to figure out what was going on with my life, uh, then I started falling, uh, doing more research on gender. Um, and I was realizing that a lot of my anxiety and my drinking was coming to a head because I felt like something was wrong with me. Um, and so then I uh, was just looking around YouTube and I came across a lot of videos about uh, like my first year on hormones, hormone replacement therapy, uh, you know, male to female uh, uh, makeup tutorials and things like that. And I started clicking on them and then I started seeing myself. And it was the first time seeing another trans person and having it explained to me uh, that I, I just started bawling. I just started crying and I knew I was like, this is, this is what's going on. So um, yeah, then I was like, okay, well, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. I didn't tell my dad um, until after I was already on my hormones, after I'd already set up the doctor's appointment by myself and um yeah so i started my transition and again there was still something missing still a whole other gap you know i i was starting to feel more comfortable in my body uh with the hormones i was starting to feel a lot more relaxed with who i was as an individual um but there was still this like constant like space that wasn't being filled and again you know, there was the, was the struggle with alcohol and partying and going out and like all this other stuff. And, um, <clears throat> sorry, one second. Um, yeah, I was just constantly feeling lonely and I was, I had tried to really start focusing in on my spiritual life again trying to dive back into Buddhism again. And then 
I was having this internal conflict of how do I, how can I be trans and have that be such, uh, so tied to the physical aspect of this world and have this spiritual life that I'm not even sure is right for me. So I kept trying. I was trying to dedicate myself heavily to my yoga practice. I was trying to uh, dedicate myself heavily to like the idea of compassion. Um, my friend and I started a transgender support group. Um, you know, just all these all these things. And still in my spiritual life, something still felt really off. And fast forward, I ended up moving to uh, Washington to get my yoga teaching certification, which I never did yet. Just funny, you know, you move across the country to do something anyway. Um, and then from there on my journey with Islam kind of blossoms, but that was all like pretty much everything in a nutshell leading up to that. So. What was it like to be you in this small town and, and not ever being told why you were practicing. What, what, what questions were you trying to answer for yourself about religion and spirituality when you were sort of exploring different faiths? Yeah, um, I was looking, I was just trying to get a click. You know, I, I had this, was being told my whole life that God existed. And when I didn't feel like I, I had a connection with God, I was like, well, if I can't find it from, get the outside source, I want to find it from the inside. Um, and the whole time being in those small little towns, you know, everybody around you basically just is like, go to church. You need to spend more time in church. And then, you know, if you're having any struggles at all with your spiritual life and you happen to be queer, well, it's because you're queer. You know, stop being queer and, and stop being you, which was the exact opposite of what I did. You know, I was the only open trans person uh, working at a small town pizza hut. And I don't know if you ever worked at a pizza hut on a Sunday in the Midwest as a trans person, but it's wild. <laughs> what kind of what kind of stuff would you have to encounter? Oh, there's just the Sunday crowd comes in, you know, the yeah, here I am, this tall trans person and the Sunday crowd comes in and, you know, they that's always usually exciting for the other waitresses, but they would come and gather around these huge tables and they would often have these big tips, but those big tips would never come my direction. No. And so then yeah. you would all, yeah, it was just stuff like that. People would say wild things. Like I can't tell if my waitress is a man or a woman and, you know, just wild things like that. Yeah. So as you, um, it was in Washington, you said, you went to go get your certification for your yoga mm -hmm. teacher training. Um, when you got there, um, how long was it and what was the journey like to where you then began to um, explore Islam? And, and what was the transition like when, when, you, when you were sort of going through that? Yeah, so um, for, let's see, from 2016, which is when we came to Washington, um, to the end of 2017, um, I was still just kind of bouncing around with the idea of being a yoga teacher, um, bouncing around with my sort of like 
I don't know, like pseudo spiritual Buddhist yoga, hippie kind of floating around existence. And I, let's see, it was at the end of 2017, I had got, I was let go from my job. Um, And during that time, I had met someone who uh, happened to be Muslim. And I always get, get kind of shaky when it comes to telling people that because it's not this person. They weren't the reason that I became Muslim, but I had a lot of questions and they were able to answer a lot of those questions. Um, what and, kind of questions? What were you asking? Well, I was curious because I started looking into Sufism mm. and I had really never dealt with Sufism at all. You know, I just... I had listened to some uh, Kuali music. I had, uh, you know, read some Rumi. I, you know, very basic stuff like that. But I had never really dealt with it too much. And I knew that it was connected to Islam, but I had actually tried to stay away from Islam because it was a sister faith of Christianity, which I was still kind of like gun shy with, Um, which I think a lot of people go through. You know, if they've had a bad experience uh, with a certain faith growing up, they kind of avoided it at all possible cost. But the questions I had was just like, who is, you know, like, who is Allah? And what is with the Quran? And, you know, why did they pray the way that they pray? And what is your story, this person that I was learning from? Like, what is your story? And, and what is your experience with it? And they were actually pretty bitter. They had come from another country that was uh, very divided and they were had uh, been raised in a, uh, around a lot of war stuff. So they had a lot of negative opinions about their childhood and, and, and so they were kind of stepping away from Islam as well. Um, but they taught me how to pray. Well, attempted to teach me how to pray initially. And uh, they went with me to purchase my first Quran and my first prayer mat. And they uh, were present whenever I took my Shahada as well. So, and, you know, they had, they had a fleeting chapter in my life, but there was, you know, some good that came out of it. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like you had such wonderful support at a time when you were probably feeling quite vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And again, during that time, I still wasn't really sure what the questions I was asking was. Mm. And I ended up shortly after meeting them, uh, having an opportunity to travel to India. Um, So my one of my really good friends was like, hey, you're in between work right now and I'm going to India. So you should come with me. And I was like, I've never left the country before. I, you know, I have my little security here, like this money that I've got saved. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, no, you should just do it. Like, I'll buy your ticket now. You can pay me back later. Um, So we went. I said, okay. And uh, we left and I went to India for a month and a week. And in India is where I think I really fell in love with uh, the Muslim heart, I guess the heart of the Muslim people. Um, I did a lot of research and and while we were in Bangalore and Mysore and even in Goa, I tried to go to the Muslim districts 
and uh, you know just meet other Muslims. And for I didn't get misgendered or anything in India. It was really interesting. I, nobody ever gave me any issues. I never got misgendered. Nothing. So there was a weird sense of security uh, walking around. More so, I would say, even than here in the U.S. It's like you don't feel like people are looking out, like looking to find issues with you. Um, but yeah, while I was there, I I made some friends and I bought a different copy of the Quran that I could actually read there. And I read almost all the way through it while I was there. And I started keeping a journal and I decided, I was like, this is, this is it. Like, this is it for me. So when I came back from India, um, that's when I really started to, I really wanted to start taking it seriously. And uh, so my the person I was talking about was actually my ex. And so I told him I wanted to start wearing hijab. And he was like, are you sure? And I said, yeah, like, I'm, you know, I'm going to take it slowly. Um, but I, I do want to do it. And it's weird because um, also if I'm rambling, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, this is good for so me. <laughs> I'm definitely not used to being in the live thing. So I'm just like, my brain's going a million miles an hour. No, it's okay. Um, we can, you can stop and breathe if you need to. There's no rush at all. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, the, the conflict that I dealt with when it came to putting on my hijab for the first time was, well, I'm a trans person. I'm a trans woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I had never seen any other trans women in a hijab before. As a matter of fact, it's, probably the complete opposite when you think you're coming into this new body you know this body that is finally a body that you've wanted and you've got certain features of that body that you've never been able to flaunt and you know it's it's completely understandable that trans women would want to show off those aspects of their body but so whenever I put on the hijab for the first time and started trying to cover there were, it was conflicting with that, that aspect, you know? Um, but when I did started, uh, when I did start to dress more modestly, um, there was this sense of rightness about it, uh, safety almost, you know, I guess I can call it a safety net. It felt like a safety net. It felt when I was walking out in public, people weren't looking at me and being like, excuse me, sorry. People weren't looking at me and staring me down because I was this like super tall trans monster walking down the street. I was used to, I could just kind of be myself but just more covered. I don't, I, I don't really know how to describe it other than that. But. Yeah, I think a lot of people share that sentiment that it, um, I think this is something that people who don't cover um, either their hair or their bodies can't really wrap their heads around because it's very much an experiential thing and it's quite subtle. Um, but it's almost like it just it just turns down the lights a little bit, you know, yeah. and allows you to 
like almost direct where your attention is going, but also the attention of the people around you. And it gives you a little bit more control over the interactions that you have with people. Like, at least for me, like I feel a lot less um, like vulnerable to other people's energy. I feel a lot less likely that somebody will come up to me. Um, and I don't know, at least like for me, I've always had people see me as somebody that they can talk to very easily. And so people, you know, randomly on the bus or the street or whatever will be like, hey, like I'm going to talk to you. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I found in the time that I've been dressing modestly and covering my hair, it's been so much more. Um, I don't know what's going on in other people's heads, but it, it's it, the frequency has certainly, you know, become less, less so. Um yeah, I think I think everybody would agree that there's sort of this safety that comes with it. Um, but can you also talk about, um, of course, a job is more than a headscarf, right? Definitely. It's yeah. it's it's a way of life. It's a way of presenting yourself and, and moving through the world. Can you sort of talk about how you came to that realization and what that experience has been like in the sense that um, how have you sort of explored the concept that a job is more than a headscarf? Oh, uh, yeah. So, you know, in the beginning, when you first put it on, it initially, at least for me, for the first few months, it really was uh, adjusting to, you know, just having the headscarf on. Um, it's weird. <laughs> at first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's just kind of like, uh. Um, but then when, the more I started being around other people that also wore it, and the more I started kind of meditating on it, Modesty is is very internal as well. You know, someone can be fully covered from head to toe and be absolutely immodest. You know, they can be have a completely immodest attitude or personality or heart, you know, um, and then vice versa. There's so many different levels of modesty and so many different variations on how you how you represent hijab. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's internal and external. Yeah, it is. And, and I'm curious what it's been like for you as someone who's always moved through the world in a body that is questioned in a body that is in, in flux all the time. Mm -hmm. um, have you gained any sense of stability within yourself and the way that you feel you present yourself to the world? Because you seem quite confident in your style um, maybe it hasn't always been that way, but you certainly present that way now. Um, so I'm just, I'm just curious if, if there was ever a time when you felt less secure or um, maybe you struggled with your job a little bit. Yeah. Um, so uh, since my, since I reverted, um, I haven't worn hijab constantly. Um, I wore it for the first like two years. Um, and then I had a massive, massive life of people and those first couple years in in my practice i was you know i was doing the the book studies you know i was learning the book studies but i wasn't i wasn't able to really implement it into my life the the whole practice and so when i went through this really devastating part of my life i the first thing to come off was my hijab because it was it in that time period, I was so angry and I was so spiteful. I used the hijab as a way to get back 
at the person who had always seen me in it. And I had a lot of dark things associated with it. So I took it off. And initially when I took it off, it felt like I was all of my old insecurities about being trans and not just being trans, but every, all of my old insecurities in general just came flooding back. They just came flooding back in. And it was like my shield, my shield went down and all the negative aspects came flooding in again. And so I felt more masculine in public. I felt like anything else that I put on was just made me look like a man all the time. And, and yeah, I, you know, hijab also causes like a check and balance system with you and where you're going, what you're doing, you know, for instance, I wouldn't walk into a bar wearing a hijab, but in that moment, you know, whenever I took it off, I did walk into a bar without a hijab on your eyes. And I don't know, it, it breaks, it breaks you down in a lot of ways. Yeah. There's a lot of people here. I just want to address that. Um, this is the first time I've ever had this many people in one of these conversations. Um, and I just oh, want to remind everybody that this is um, not a place to be an asshole. Um, this is, I'm having a conversation with this person. And if you're not going to be kind, you can take it elsewhere. Um, we don't have the time for it. We don't have the energy for it. We're having a conversation about modesty, gender. Um, get going if you don't want to be here and stop being mean. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay, great. Um, I just got to recenter myself. That's a lot going on. Um, okay. You have a platform now. Um, and you're sharing your story quite frequently. Um, and um, I, I think I can't move forward in this interview without addressing what's happening in real time, which is that yeah. there are a lot of people with a lot of opinions who uh -huh. like to exert them upon you. Uh-huh. Um, how can you move through the world as yourself and and keep your faith in, in Islam and in Allah and in Quran and still and deal with people who are like this what are you what goes through your mind when, when you're experiencing this and how do you move through it well honestly anything going on outside of my bubble of faith is it just it can't get in and i had to before i started my being open about being a transgender muslim woman i knew that there was going to be a ton of varied opinions and a ton of voices and and i'm you know i want people to i'm not here to debate i'm not debating my existence with people that's one thing that gets me through i'm not going to sit here and debate with somebody about whether or not my existence is on the table it's i just am it's just who i am and that's that and i'm still you know it's just a resolve it's just a, a major resolve that i have i'm not going to let someone's opinion sway my faith. I mean, how, how, how can you, you know, I know it, it happens to a lot of people and I can understand like it can definitely wear you down over time, but 
as far as comments on the internet go, eh. You know, so I have to say is eh. Eh. That's a great experience. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to get back to style and fashion. Um, When you were starting to explore wear hijab and dressing more modestly, um, what sources were you turning to? Who are you looking for for inspiration? Uh, When I first started dressing modestly? Yeah, was that Um, different than the time when you were wearing hijab? I mean, if those were separate processes, I'm curious about that as well. Well, I'd always kind of had like uh, somewhat modest clothes. I'd always liked like drapey, like kind of baggy, you know, hippie clothes or what have you. So I kind of had a little bit of a starter um, at first. Uh, But initially, when I first started looking for inspiration, I was just talking to um, my ex at the time, you know, and learning about uh, the women in his life and the uh, people in his life. And he would show me bits and pieces of his uh, culture. And and then I started doing my own research. And it took me a long time to try and start folding modesty, taking modesty from an image that I saw and implementing that onto my own personal style. And I don't think that that really came to be until like this, like last year or so. Because, you know, it's it's hard to, it's hard to find what what fits your body type, what fits your shoulders type, what makes you not look like, you know, you're just a walking, like, I don't know, curtain rod or something, especially if you're tall and lanky like me. Yeah. How has that experience, um, if it has, has this experience of sort of finding your own style within modesty um, echoed your experience when you were growing up and you were starting to play with drag? Is there any overlap there or any similar feelings? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not sure I understood that one. Yeah. Um, Say it one more time. I'm wondering if um, the sense of freedom and the sense of play that you found in drag um, if you're feeling, if you felt any echoes of that in your process of, of dressing more modestly and learning how to dress more modestly in that way, um, was it a yeah. similar sense of play and freedom or were you experiencing something completely different? No, it was definitely a sense of, of, uh, creativity and definitely yeah. creativity and freedom. And, um, it, it forced me to look at myself outside of a stereotypical view of what a trans woman, uh, you know, for instance, I used to hide behind my bangs all the time. I had to hide behind my bangs all the time. I hated my forehead. And I mean, I still kind of hide my forehead a little bit, but you know, um, so I would use bangs and fringe and all kinds of stuff to make my face look more feminine. Um, quote unquote. Yeah, sure. And so when I started wearing hijab and pulling my hair out of my face, that was uh, nerve wracking because I'm like, oh, my God, all people are going to see is just my big square head. Nothing can protect me anymore. (laughs) It does feel a little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. But creativity. Yeah, creativity. There's lots of creativity. And, you know, there is a lot more. um, I feel like there was a lot more room for. error as well you know when you have all the the flowies and the layers and stuff you can kind of get a lot more you can can mess up a little bit you know you don't have to have the 
perfect pants to match the perfect top. Yeah, it is and a little bit more free. That's been my experience as well. I found that like, it's almost like I almost felt more confused and more uh, stressed out shopping before dressing modestly because now I have like rules and I can like know what I want when I'm going into the store, you know, like I, ha I need to cover like this part of me, this part, this part of me, and I'm just going for the flowy stuff. And when you sort of have like those boundaries almost, like it almost makes it easier to dress. I don't know. Yeah, it gets exciting. Like I had to really focus on like what actual size am I in a dress? Yes. You know, right. What size am I in a dress and how how tall am I? You know, I never really had to focus on how tall I actually was in, in inches or whatever before. Figure that out. Yeah. Then you kind of get all these perfect measurements and the world is your oyster. When it comes yeah, to truly. And what a wonderful time to be on the internet as someone who dresses modestly because there's so many wonderful sources of inspiration i think oh tons tons i mean i mean i don't i don't know how long i mean you said you've been how long have you been um muslim since the very beginning of 2018 2018 okay so um we neither of us were really around for the early 2010s of hijabi bloggers but um that era i'm sure you can still find pictures from I almost feel mm -hmm. kind of lucky that I was around in that time because some of the, the outfits were a little questionable. But today there's just such a tremendous market for modest fashion um, that it, it, it makes it a lot easier, I think, to be someone who's coming into a tradition that values modesty, even if you're not doing it for religious reasons, um, mm -hmm. just anybody who wants to experience modesty. It's so much easier now. Um, and, and it feels like there's so much more support. Has that been your experience? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I even even since 2018, when I was just starting to look around, you know, I felt like there were kind of limited sources. You know, you had Pinterest. Pinterest was my go to for everything back then. And even then, like some of the outfits and stuff seemed unattainable. But now you have websites that cater to modesty so much and it's just blossoming up everywhere. And I tag uh, Mode Nisa a lot. And yeah, also, I mean, I get so many clothes from them, but they're just so good. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I love Modernisa. I feel like there's so much option, like so much um, variety in their stuff. Yeah. And it's fairly affordable, too, which is nice. It is. It is. Um, in, I guess in that in that realm of things, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to walk around this carefully. Um, I don't know how much the the feeling of needing to pass has been a thing for you, um, but if it has, how has that been in the context of of the world of modest fashion and and femininity in that way? Because I think another thing that I see happen so frequently is that in the modest fashion world, um, there's quite little representation for different body types and skin colors. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm curious if you found it difficult to to navigate the space of modest fashion and find your own like style within that, or if you if you haven't at all, and that it's it's been easy because of for whatever reason. It's been so much easier, so much easier. Um, like I I definitely used to focus a lot on passing um, in the first first five years of my transition, I focused on passing all the time and and how did the clothes hug my body so it looked like I had the right curves, you know, boy and stuff. But as my journey with modest fashion has come along, 
it's you know my clothes I don't know I feel way more passable now and without having to look you know sexy if that makes sense yeah yeah what what parts of modesty um whether that's internal or external do you feel like you've struggled with the most um internal for sure for sure and I think that's because um I, you know I've had to kind of overcompensate with being really really shy uh and big part of that is sometimes trying to uh, be the loudest person in a conversation or have the biggest ideas in a conversation or what have you. And toning that back and coming to terms with my shyness and knowing that my shyness is okay, that has been uh, the internal modesty hurdle that I've really had to deal with. Yeah, that's tricky. I, I think, um, again, people who don't try to experience modesty um, or haven't before don't understand some of the internal struggles that happen, but there's also so much development that occurs. Um, so much character development that occurs. I think when you start to dress modestly or cover your hair that, that I think people just don't understand. Um, can you talk about um, some of the ways that you've changed internally through this process? Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, man, uh, the whole, I mean, for one, you know, it, it took away all of the unhealthy aspects of my life, you know, along with actual effort, you know, on my own part, but those checks and balances that I mentioned earlier, it, it pushed me to stop going out and stop partying and stop saying yes to, to people in my life that may put me in a situation where I would be uh, doing things that I shouldn't be doing. Um, it's kind of helped me weed out problematic drama in my life. Um, and it's uh, caused me to pull inward a lot more. Pull inward and be very selective about everything. You know, you're selective about your wardrobe. You're selective about the people in your life. You're selective about the actions that you're taking. And yeah. Yeah. You tread a bit more carefully with what you bring into your life, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And how has um, how has your relationship with God changed throughout that process from the beginning? When you reflect on your time in this small town and not even knowing if God was real or what you cared about to now, how what's that journey been like? I would say if back then, If back then my idea of God was a very, a very opaque, dark, simple black dot on a white wall, nowadays God, that white, that little black dot has covered the entire wall and it's still there. It still encompasses the entire wall, but you can't really, you can't see it. You know, you can't see it. It covers all ideas that I have, that I've had. Um, and, you know, since becoming Muslim, I don't know, it's, it's just so much more clear. It's so much more clear. And the joy that I get whenever I think about my relationship with Allah is so much more fulfilling 
than it than it was in the beginning completely yeah like i spend a lot of time in prayer like crying when i used to not understand why people would cry if they prayed you know um i've developed the ability to actually have conversations in my prayer um and to rely a lot more heavily in like stressful times you know yeah and do you feel that you've um found your click and what i mean by that is earlier you were saying you were struggling in finding the the faith or the tradition or the community that would that would make you feel less alone do you feel like you found that here yeah yeah i i don't think that i've i haven't found that community say in my small in my town that i'm in directly around me every day as far as uh muslim community goes um i haven't really lived in this particular town very long it's part of the reason but uh i, I have found a huge community um, on TikTok, which I didn't really expect that I would. Um, I found that there's so many other Muslims that are in my situation or similar. Um, my, actually my roommate, my best friend um, of 10 years, she's also trans and she is uh, in the process of converting to Judaism, so. Wow, yeah. look yeah. at you too. Yeah. So it's just, she's not as, uh, oh no, you froze. Talk or anything like that. So I kind of try to share what I can with her. Sorry. Can you say the last thing you said you froze for a second? Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, she's not as good with the mechanics of TikTok or anything. Oh. So I try to share the good information and the good videos with her when it comes to like modesty or, uh, you know, like uh, Jewish information, learning, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, what a good pair you are. Yes. Um, okay. When do you feel most beautiful? When do I feel most beautiful? I think it varies from day to day, but uh, I definitely feel, I, I've definitely felt most beautiful whenever I am fully covered and I actually think I feel more beautiful without makeup on but makeup is such a security blanket for me um so I would say if and when I have the opportunity whenever I'm covered but with less makeup with no makeup is that something that you um is makeup part of your your journey with modesty at all? Because I hear it from different people that for some people, it's just a form of self-expression. And for some people, it, I'm not saying this is you, but some people it's a crutch, right? Um, what, what role does makeup play in your modesty? Nowadays, um, makeup nowadays is solely for security purposes. You know, I love it. I love the art of it. I love the creativity of it. And whenever I'm doing it, I love it. But I wish that I could feel more comfortable uh, just not wearing it. I Ideally, in my journey with modesty, I would like to not wear as much makeup or have to wear makeup at all. But currently, that's still the hurdle I'm currently kind of jumping over. Yeah, that's tricky. Have you, what about you? Have you dealt with like 
makeup as a crutch or a struggle or yeah I think um hmm, how tricky yeah I have um it doesn't it, it, ever since I um really started dressing more modestly I don't use it that way as much for me it's more just like a form of self-expression mm-hmm. and that it, it my experience with makeup and my journey with makeup really coincided with my journey around my sexuality and my um my relationship to my body in terms of like how much control I pulled over it um my relationship to femininity also has changed so much and makeup's been a huge part of that and becoming more comfortable in femininity and knowing that there's not one way to do femininity I think was a huge huge realization for me at least that there's not there's not a handbook you know it's not it's not something I missed you know it's 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 so much just like modesty. It's such an internal experience. And there's not, I mean, I guess we can get into this, but like I <laughs> ask somebody who like whose gender changes on the daily. Right. But like is biologically female. Um, it's been such a joy to get to experience this body in this plane, but with the, the added play of modesty on top of it. Um, because it's what a way to become conscious of your body and conscious of your interactions with other people. Um, I, I, I say this so often, but like your body is for better, or for worse, a relational object. And we can pretend like we can move through the world without being seen. But at the end of the day, you have to interact with people and you have a body to do that. And you have five senses to interact with other bodies and in this and this plane, this world is so physical. And when you marry the the struggles that come with that, I think it becomes um, a process of inquisition and a process of reflection to move through this world as a body that is more covered or is trying to experience higher worlds or higher knowledge. Um, and for me personally, I've always seen makeup and clothing as a way to sort of externalize what what my in, internal experience is you know um it's a way yeah. for me to express my struggles around gender it's a way for me to express my struggles around like feeling like i have a body that's worth loving things like that you know like self confidence um all of these things and as much as at least in judaism modesty is about privacy modesty is about I think much like Islam about moving through the world in a more measured way. Mm-hmm. It's also um, such a joy to be a woman, I think, and to get to experience womanhood. Um, yeah. If you're comfortable talking about this, I would love to hear more about that from your perspective and like what womanhood means to you and like how you've come to change your definition of that over time. Yeah. You know, it's, Womanhood and femininity, femininity to me has like it's ebbed and flowed over the years. You know, um, I think when I was first, I say this, allowed to be a woman um, after I came out as trans and stuff. I think a lot of trans people go through this, this almost uh, childlike idea of what it is to be a girl and woman. And so for, you know, a couple of years I had this like, oh, like, you know, I need to be as girly as possible and hyper feminine all the time and yada, yada, yada. And then 
a couple of years into that, I uh, chopped off almost all my hair and I was going through this really sort of uh, androgynous feminine side of myself. You know, and that's kind of been it all the way up until now. You know, femininity and womanhood to me has constantly ebbed and flowed um, back and forth. You know, it's never been held down. It's never been uh, stagnant or anything. Yeah, I, w- I, I think that's something, too, like I was talking about with hair covering. It's something that has to be experienced, I think. And womanhood isn't just one thing. You know, it's, no. it's an experience. It's a collection of experiences. And it's a shared consciousness, I think, in a way that people who, you know, are not experiencing that or can't really describe, I think. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know, you know, I think getting into a lot of people, you know, that who aren't women will be like, blah, 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 especially being trans or like, oh, you can't be a woman. Like, you don't have the experience of a woman or something like that. And like, mm-hmm. I've never known anything but being a woman, you know ever since I was little, I've only ever known myself as a girl, as a woman. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's natural and it's everybody's unique experience. Yeah. Yeah. You said that, of course, you have a, a larger community now of other queer Muslims. And I, I've seen that community, you know, obviously I'm not a part of it, but I've seen it pass by and it seems very beautiful and supportive. Um, but you're also, you know, you're not a teenager anymore. And there are a lot of people who are on here um, who are queer and Muslim and trying to find their place within the eyes of God and within their community. Um, what advice would you give to them? Oh, gosh, it's first and foremost, it's hard to give advice um, to a large array of young trans Muslims because they're all in different situations, you know, and some of those situations could be potentially dangerous, you know, for any trans person, they could, being an open trans person could be dangerous. So I always like to say whatever situation you're in, put safety first, safety first, don't get yourself in a situation where you could be hurt. Um, But other than that, I would say do what you can to reach out to the community that you have, even if it's not directly around you, even if it's not like someone whose hand you can hold or someone you can hug immediately, but always stay in contact with them, even if it's through TikTok, if it's through email, if it's through whatever. Keep your keep the people that you're connected with as close as possible in whatever way possible that you can. And be always be honest with yourself and don't let anybody tell you that who you are is wrong and what you're doing is wrong because you're loved and you're wonderful and you're unique and you're just exactly the way that you're supposed to be. Will you expand upon that last bit? You're exactly the way that you're supposed to be. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, trans, trans people were, we are a natural creation. We exist. We exist in so many different ways and We've been told for so long that we're not supposed to be here, that we're not supposed to exist, that we're not real, that we're fake, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that rhetoric just keeps getting beat over and over and over. And the people that are spewing that have no interest in the science that's behind it. So, you know, from, from a spiritual perspective, from a scientific perspective, you are absolutely who you were supposed to be. 
and you are absolutely loved. And don't let anybody take that from you. People will say, well, you said you've always been a woman, but you also said you're trans. Yes, I have always been a woman. And yes, I am trans. You know, don't, don't let anybody tell you because you're trans that you at one point weren't the gender that you are. So. Yeah. It's a hard world to move through as a trans person. It is a violent and awful world to move through. Um, But you chose to be a part of a religion, which is an interesting choice. I think that um, often a lot of queer people reject religions because they've traditionally felt excluded from them. Uh, But you don't seem to find any clash between Mm -hmm. them. And in fact, you found your home here. What is that like? Yeah. Well, I'm not, you know, I didn't come into my faith looking for a community to start with. I came into my faith to deepen my connection with God and to build my relationship with God. And, you know, so, so that, that's what makes it easy for me, you know, is reading the Quran and the Hadiths and building that personal relationship. And if I start letting other people in, if I start letting other people and their opinion and specifically their hateful opinions, I should say, come in, then that's going to start breaking down. That's how you start pushing people away. You start pushing people away and then you're cutting off any opportunity for growth with them whatsoever. And so, yeah, I just built my little nest with my faith. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, your relationship is between you and God. Yeah, it is. Just reading some of the comments. <laughs> it's a mess in there. I'm not. I know. Sure. I know. It's, 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 it's like my comment section every day. It just, it just gets wild. Yeah. Wild. Truly. <laughs> truly. Um, okay. I have, I've, um, I have one more question that I'm curious about. Um, I'm always, I'm so obsessed with the, the inner spiritual lives of women. Um, largely because it's just not talked about a lot. And and we don't, tr- historically, women's experiences of spirituality and religion have either been minimized or mocked or just not told or erased. Um, and it sounds like you've had such a an alive journey with your spirituality and your relationship to God. And reflecting on all of those moments and and how you got to know, tell me about a time recently when you felt really, really connected, like really one, really one with God, with everything and just true and alive. Do you have anything like that that happened in recent memory? Yeah. um, So I was... Uh, let's see. Well, as recent as I can say, I guess it's still kind of recent, but it was uh, 2000, it was 2020. And I ended up being locked in the middle of the woods with my 73 year old father. And it was because of the COVID lockdown. I was in the middle of the woods in Southeast Missouri after living in the city for so long. And I couldn't leave because of lockdown. I was just kind of stuck there. And I was outside and it was spring 
and I was outside and on the property that I grew up and I was sitting on the, this little hill that's kind of behind my dad's house and I was sitting in the quiet. I had had, I was recovering from pretty much a full mental breakdown and I was just sitting in silence outside and I could just hear everything super clearly and I just started bawling, just started crying and it just felt all of a sudden like I had gotten this approval like it's okay to move on with your spiritual life it's okay to take uh, start taking the steps forward again this is the next step in your healing do you feel really connected to god when you're in nature is that when you feel most connected or is there not really it just happens sometimes it's just it just kind of happens sometimes you know there's not any any particular uh you know, spot in nature or anything. It just, just happens. Yeah. I, I felt silence... my strongest. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, as I say, I think silence really helps the most though, is when there's just no noise, no noise. And all you can hear is just that slight, slight, you know, buzzing. Yeah. It's transcendent almost. I think we don't get many opportunities in today's world to, to get that quiet. Um, and all the times that I've had that level of quiet, that level of just mental peace, has come when I'm in nature. Um, yeah. And I'm sad that that we're um, we're destroying those opportunities for people. I actually heard a podcast recently. Um, uh, are you familiar with On Being with Krista Tippett? Uh, I think vaguely, but not, not much. She did an interview. Um, she does a similar format where she just sort of interviews people and talks to them. But um, she did an interview with a person who um, is sort of like a, a quiet expert like his whole career is in searching for and preserving places of quiet um and he um he runs sort of like a database basically of the quiet places in the world and and where you can sort of go for that level of quiet um and he said that there's only 12 places left in the united states that are deemed quiet enough like to be considered like quiet enough for his his list you know um, it makes me sad. I think. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, that's super depressing. <sighs> yeah, definitely trying to conserve those spaces. I I am lucky that where I grew up, whenever I was little, is is kind of one of those spaces. I feel like maybe not to that uh, degree, but it's just nestled in the middle of a bunch of trees by a lake, you know, out in the middle of the woods. So it's precious. It is precious. Yeah. I I don't know if this has been the experience for you, but I've found that modesty and reconnecting with my faith has also enabled me to become more observant of the world and become more present when I'm moving through daily life, um, whether that's just in my home or at my job or anything, but also just out in the world in my home or at my job or anything, but also just out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely been my experience as well. I'm constantly, everything I do, you know, throughout the day, whether I'm at work or I'm at home, I'm constantly kind of bouncing that off of, off of my faith and kind of thinking like, how does this relate to kind of what I believe in or how could I deepen my practice with what I'm doing? You know, so every little decision. Yeah. What is something that makes you despair in the world today? 
people's lack of compassion. Lack of compassion. It absolutely just kills me on the inside. There's, you know, I feel like we have these little uh, reflector neurons in our brain. It's what enables us to feel empathy when we see the suffering of others. And I sometimes it feels like some people in our community have just lost those in in our in our development and our evolution it's just kind of like faded away you know without they haven't used it so it's died and it makes me really sad yeah and you see it every single day how do you how do you cultivate compassion within yourself uh I try to con- put myself in other people's shoes. I mean, I know that sounds cliche, but it's the best, it's the best medicine. Like if you really sit and you consider another person's um, suffering and you really think about what they're going through and you try to put yourself in their shoes and think on it, it can make you well up on the inside. You know, it can make you start feeling those emotions. It's like when you're watching a movie and you see someone get hurt and it makes your eyes tear up. It's the same thought, but you're doing it on purpose. You're sitting with it. Yeah. Have you found that, um, have you become more compassionate since becoming a Muslim? Or have you always kind of felt this way? Yeah, have I become more compassionate since I, you know, I would like to say absolutely yes. You know, I wish that I could measure it and say absolutely yes. Um, I've become more empathetic and aware, I think, but I, I don't necessarily say that I've become more compassionate. I don't know. I guess what I mean is I don't know that com- compassion can really expand you know i think it becomes more dense but it doesn't really expand yeah that's a good way to describe it it's more dense yeah it's quite palpable on the opposite end what's something that gives you hope in the world today the amount of people that are standing up for themselves and the amount of people that are making themselves visible i you know i I think I heard a statistic the other day. I can't remember what it was, but it was a huge percentage of the average adult, you know, is open about their uh, LGBT status. And whereas like 10 years ago, that, that number was so low, you know, so many more people are coming out and being themselves and being proud to be themselves and in droves. And I think it's wonderful. You yeah. That's one of my questions. Um, I, I, we have about 25 minutes left in the time that I said, but we don't have to keep going. Um, is there anything that you want to share that's kind of like lingering on your mind or something you feel like you didn't have an opportunity to talk about or just anything you want to add? Uh, well, I, I definitely just want to say thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'm super sorry that I was like so all over the place. You weren't at all. The more times I do this, I think it'll be a little bit easier. I probably should have taken a few notes for myself, but no, it's, I think it's better when it's natural like this. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, when I first started doing that actual TikToks and sitting in front of the camera, even with nobody else watching, I was like, oh my God, I am so nervous. I am so nervous, like instant stage fright. And so <laughs> this is good practice. Good. But yeah, I would definitely like to keep in contact though about like these different subjects and different topics on modesty and, and uh, you know, kind of bounce information off of each other. I think that'd be nice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're friends now, so you can do whatever you want. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I really appreciate you being here. Um, and I appreciate you sitting through and talking and being honest. Um, like I said, this is not an easy world to move through in a trans body. And um, tonight's comments were very clear about that. Um, there's still a yeah. lot of people in this world who um, either are close-minded or hateful or feel the need to express that hate out loud. Um, some people who are just uneducated and don't understand that there's a whole world of expression of gender and sexuality and all of these things. Um, and I hope that, yeah, I think it's really just a lack of education and a lack of knowing people because like you said, like the more people that you meet who have experiences that are different than you, I think the more your mind becomes open to all of the beauty of the creation. I mean, I don't know. I, I think there's just so much rich diversity to be known in this world. And it brings me a lot of sadness to know that there are people who haven't yet and who, who could, you know, um, to know that there are experiences that can challenge our ideas of what is right and wrong and what is true and false and, and what even, what God even is. Um, all of these things bring us to attention and presence and consciousness. And I think that that's hugely, hugely important in our communal sort of journey towards truth. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, you know, it's your relationship with God and, and the most important thing is what you're bringing to the table and how you're expressing yourself. And if you're being honest in your conversations with God and how you show up for yourself every day and, and caring for yourself and loving yourself and, you know, like you said, just ignore the haters, right? Yeah. Yeah. God knows our hearts and, and God knows what's there and what's there is all that matters. Yeah. Legitimately. Um, I simply cannot go back through here and look for questions. Um, <laughs> I don't blame you, not one bit. <laughs> I don't think anybody actually asks anything intelligent. Um, so if you do, if you have any questions um, on your side that you actually feel like answering, you're welcome to do so at this point. I'm good. I'm yeah. absolutely good. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. I think that's the right call. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Um, Thank you for being here. Um, for anybody who's still listening, um, thanks for holding out and for being kind if you were kind and for keeping your mouth shut if you did not want to be kind. Um, this <laughs> is going to be released as a podcast eventually. Um, if you want to know when that happens, you can follow me. You should follow um, my lovely friend Lily here um, to hear her story more and follow her. Um, and just, you know, if this was not your vibe, like, pray. Like, you know, like you don't need to go and hurt other people. Just go pray, please. We'll pray exactly. for you. Go pray for us. At the end of the day. Here's the deal. If if you're right, then pray for, you know, pray for us. And if we're right, we'll pray for you. You know, at the end of the day, we're all walking each other home. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well have a beautiful night. Thank you for being here. 
podcast. Thank you so much for having me and we will keep in touch. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.